Welcome to episode 17 of the Worship is Life podcast, where worship equals relationship and relationship is the purpose of life. I'm your producer, Taylor Marshall, and today's guest is Chris Schimonfalvi of Music 360 Method. And here's your host, Todd Marshall. Thank you, Taylor. So excited about our conversation with Chris today. And I want to let people know a couple times throughout this episode that they can find that link to Music 360 Method in the show notes. And I'm um, excited for you to hear about that, but even more so just Chris's story. And uh, that's coming up in just a couple minutes here. Uh, but first, a couple things with Taylor and I. Uh, when this interview is released, uh, we will be leaving for our trip we've been telling you about. We're going to a sensitive, closed country, 96% Muslim, and um, traveling during this season of COVID. So lots of interesting challenges, mm-hmm. um, uh, lots of excitement. Our hosts are so excited about us coming. And um, this country actually, just over the last several days, was going through uh, some political unrest countrywide. And thankfully, that is quieted down. So we have a lot in common with them as we are here in the Twin Cities and just mm-hmm. coming off the big verdict that has uh, caused um, protests around our own country here. So lots happening in our world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Taylor, um, how you feeling about th- this trip that is on our horizon feeling good it's been cool even um yesterday just some different confirmations i wasn't expecting here and there people connected to the country we're going to or having experience in that area mm-hmm. uh and it's just been cool asking the lord to continue to open or close the doors um to clarify just his leading in our lives and things have been open and green light for this trip so looking forward to it and prepping yeah. for the 14-hour plane ride yeah wearing a mask and all that good stuff <laughs> Yeah, speaking of the open doors, um, one of the biggest confirmations for me has been how the funding has come in mm-hmm. it's been amazing. for this trip. It's just, I mean, we've been raising, you know, over four times the amount that I've ever raised for an overseas trip before. And we are, we, we've gone well beyond our initial budget that's going to allow us mm-hmm to just really feed into them in ways that we didn't imagine that we were going to. So if you're a listener and you've helped us Mm -hmm. get there, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's exciting. We're excited to share stories from the trip in future episodes. It's going to be good. Yeah, and right on our return, Mm -hmm. uh, Taylor, you have a release coming. Yeah, so May 5th is the day that we get back and we'll be jet-lagged. Um, but it's exciting because that is the release day of a new single called Invade that I'm releasing. And it's actually, I'm partnering with what's called the Alive Collective. It's their first ever release. It's a team I've been working on, uh, working with for a conference in Des Moines every February. It's amazing. If you're in that area and you want to come, check out the website, head over to the Alive Conference and get some information. Really excited um, to be a part of that moving forward every year here. And so we started writing for it. The theme of 2021 was Invade. We wrote um, a couple songs, and Invade is going to be the title track of the EP, uh, which I'm featured on, and it's also coming out under my artist's name. So if you're not already, um, head over to my Spotify, follow on there, and you'll get an email when it comes out. Really excited about it um, and working on how to promote it from my end while we're overseas. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Still figuring out the details. But um, anyways. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Thank you, my son, for 
all the ways you're allowing the Lord to work in you and through you. Mm-hmm. It's uh, beautiful stuff. Um, and speaking of that, I'm so excited to hear Chris's story and just the the way that God has worked in and through him throughout his whole life, how all the pieces um, have fit together and are um, converging on this Music 360 method mm-hmm. resource that I'm super excited about uh, in my own circle of influence. And so, Chris, welcome to the Worship is Life podcast. Thank you. So good yeah. to be with you guys. Come on. In person today. In yeah, person, which on. is crazy because Chris is from Texas and uh, he is up here for our district council and equip, which I'll talk about later on in the program. Um, but uh, yeah, so him and his wife are staying in our home for a few nights. And so even though our relationship is new and young, uh, we're getting to kick that into hyper gear here for these next few days. So, so that's great. Uh, Chris, we always love to let our listeners know um, how uh, we know each other and what our relationship consists of because worship equals relationship and there's nothing more important in life mm-hmm. than that. And um, so we got connected because you reached out to our district office, our Assemblies of God district office, um, as you are finishing the final touches on this amazing res- resource and now looking for those connections for which this resource is purposed. And so then they put you in contact with me and uh, we've had many phone calls and, and Zoom meetings um, as I am partnering with you to get the word out about this. And it's just been a joy to hear your story and, and get to know you. Um, and what we have in common, the, the visions and passions that, that we have in common. Um, and I'm just looking forward to these next three days together and getting to know you and your wife even better. Um, yeah, what's it, what's it been like? Yeah, to tell our listeners what it's been like to get to know, get to know Todd Marshall. <laughs> Can I really say everything on here? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, it's been it's been so much fun because, uh, like you said, it really worship is about relationship. The kingdom of, of God is about relationship. Mm. It's this fabric that is weaving together, and that's really what we've been. I think both of us mutually can say that that we've found that that God's weaving our story together, even mm. though it's a very new relationship in yeah. a way. But but there's so many mm. commonalities and so many. I wouldn't say opposites, but like a reciprocal type mm. of connection. Yeah, like, like, like a synergy for sure going absolutely, on. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's been very exciting to see, and I think we'll even unfold more of that. And then meeting you, Taylor, mm-hmm. and just like our conversations even last night. Uh, yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. What was that like for you, Taylor? Yeah, I love that because I, you know, you're just asking me about my rig in the studio, and then what I do, and like what that looks like, and I was expressing stuff to you. You know, trying to do worship and pop and trying to travel and do churches and youth and venues and everything. And and without even fully knowing your backstory, which I'm excited for us to unpack this morning. And you were just like, yeah, I, I get that because <laughs> I've done that and I, you know, I've lived it. And um, and the avenues that you're taking in teaching and uh, empowering worship teams, which is stuff that I've been chewing on and trying to figure out and doing in some capacity. And even just the encouragement you were giving to me last night. It's cool. Again, kindred spirits, excited yeah. to be connected 
moving forward uh and really excited about the resource too so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's been it's been it's been fun already mm-hmm. um so chris tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself we're going to get into your story but just give some uh you know some details just about your growing up your family yeah so you mentioned texas uh, that's been home since 1999 for me uh you guys, listeners, I'm not Cajun. You probably picked up on the accent a little <laughs> bit. I'm actually from Budapest, Hungary. So mm-hmm. that's that's where the slight accent comes from. Mm-hmm. We're strong for some, I guess. But um, that's that's where I was born and raised, back back under communism. So um, wow. it's wow. Uh, system changed in 89. I was 14 years old at the mm. time. So so when the Iron Curtain fell, I was a, mm. I was a teenager. So very much saw firsthand the before and the after. So wow. I'm not going to get into politics here, but <laughs> when I hear people talking about the socialist direction of the U.S., I'm oh. like, I've lived that. Oh, my goodness. Please don't go there. Oh, so. my goodness. But, yeah, it's, I, I, I've, I've experienced that firsthand, both the before and the after. Wow. So it's wow. it's definitely been eye-opening just mm. seeing that. And, and even watching the U.S. and some of the, the changes here. So it's mm. it's been very interesting just kind of living on both sides of the pond and, and, mm. and experiencing that. But raising a... a, a an AG um, family, pastor's kid, and, and uh, that's been my life, my whole life, and um, been around music, started playing classical guitar when I was six years old, and mm-hmm. raised in that, and, and, and then getting into the, the rock world, and touring, mm-hmm. and producing, and, and worship along with that, so it's, it's been a very intense, diverse journey, mm-hmm. musically, and spiritually, in every way, and um, I was actually on staff with Youth for a Mission for seven years uh, mm-hmm. in in, um, in Europe, and so we actually went to some of the regions that you guys will be visiting on missions trips. Mm. So, wow, so, that's cool. Uh, wow. Back in mid nineties, and uh, mm. so it, it's just been a whirlwind of all sorts of seemingly random experiences. But it was it's very interesting to look back now and see how God just really wove the those experiences into what I'm doing today. Yeah, and tell us, uh, tell us. Uh, I mean, we're going to hear your whole story, but uh, Lisa was telling us the story. I think you were upstairs, and she was telling us the story about how you guys met, and that and mm. that that, that, was, but that piece of your story is really unique too. Yeah. So just tell us uh, that story and how long you guys been married and how that all got started. Yeah, so back in 1996 is the very first time that I came to the U.S., and that was for my brother's wedding. So he was going to college at University of North Texas in a Dallas Fort Worth area. And uh, so he, my wife was the maid of honor for the for my brother's wedding, and I was the the best man. Mm-hmm. And uh, so first time we meet, we walk down the aisle together, <laughs> arm in arm. You know. Oh man. So it was very interesting because we we met maybe three four times, just wedding parties and different conversations, and went out to dinner, just the four of us one time. But but we really hit it off because both of us are musicians, very similar upbringings, but very opposite life experiences, mm-hmm. and it was just but. It was just magnetic, but in in really we, we I can't even say we fell in love or anything. It was just a very intense friendship. We'd stay in touch through email. Once again, this is nine, 1996, so this is yeah. pre Skype, pre everything. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. purely email. So did that for a year and a half, and eventually uh, I came to Texas on a fundraising trip with uh, with YWAM, and uh, that's when we actually just sat down and 
by then God really just woven our story into this is going to mm. be serious and, mm. and we got engaged really without knowing each other be, beyond email, email. Yeah. oh my goodness so it was almost a quote unquote arranged marriage yeah. <laughs> arranged by God but but really our first date was our honeymoon in, in a way oh my so goodness wow. yeah, it, was, it was pretty intense and that how many cool. years now so that was 23 years ago wow yeah. that's and awesome right after we got married I packed Lisa up and we moved over to Europe so she lived in Hungary with me for a year and a half wow, uh, that's cool. and just did missions work together and joined a band with me so wow it's it just like <laughs> and embraced bath- your lifestyle yeah That's baptism cool. and fire yeah, and wow. learn the language and learn the culture and that really became a strong foundation for our marriage just understanding each other's world and very deep level so, yeah very cool that's cool and really your whole life story is about as unique as the part you just shared um, and you started telling us a little bit about that but um, what I'm going to allow you to do now is just kind of go back and just unpack your story step by step and looking for those connection points where you had strong senses of God leading you, maybe not strong understandings of why, but just strong senses of all the different seasons you've been in and looking for those points of connection and how that's impacted your relationships along the way. So yeah, I, one of the things that's just fascinating about you is the uniqueness uh, of all these pieces and how they're coming together. So let's hear about that. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about this last night that um, I, I never really put it in these words, but I realized that uh, one part of my story that I always share really became the first pure decision of my life. Mm. And so what happened is I was six years old. I started playing classical guitar. Both, Basically, both of my parents decided you're going to do this because okay. <laughs> we're a musical family and that's what you do. And uh, by the time I was around 12, uh, I really got sick of it. I was mm. really good at it, but my guitar teacher never really taught me the love of music. Mm. It was just learn to sight read and recital mm. to competition to this and that and so it was just going through material like crazy mm. and i did great with it but i, I really didn't connect with the instrument mm. no relationship with the instrument yeah <laughs> and th- yeah and and it was um it's really for me with my mind right now the way i view music the way i use music i i, I can't fathom why someone would teach like that but that, that was my journey. And so as a kid, hmm. I did not enjoy music at all. Hmm. So by age 12, I got so sick of it. My friends were getting into BMX. So I was like, I, I, I got get, <laughs> to get into sports. I'm sick of this. And so for about a year and a half, I was begging my dad, just let me quit music. I want to do BMX. Hmm. And so he, I, clear as day, I remember this conversation with him. He just sat me down and said, son, I re- I, I'm going to let you switch and stop music, but under one condition. If you're going to do it as seriously as you did music, I want mm. you to be as committed. I want you to mess around with BMX. If you're going to do it, do it as unto the Lord. Mm. And so that, I, that, that's that's the realization last night. That was the first time that kind of became mm. this foundation for my story. Just do it as unto the Lord. Like mm. No matter what you do, just do it for real. Mm. Don't, don't just go half-hearted. Mm. So I did, which ended up leave, leading me is almost exactly 30 years ago, kind of the, the peak of my BMX career. I ended up being an internationally sponsored teenager, oh, wow. basically. Well, I made it to the world championships in Denmark in 1991, mm. summer of 1991. No way. Yeah. And so I'm placed, uh, I tied for second in the world in my age category. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Wow. Uh, which that number two kind of became a theme in other competitions later on, too. It's kind wow. of the inside joke with Lisa and the family. So you were like 13, 14 at that time? I was 16 at the time. 16, okay. Wow. Wow. And so um, it's interesting because right around that time 
when my BMX career as a teenager, sponsored amateur basically, and really building a career out of that, even at 16, um, right around that time, my oldest brother came back to the Lord. He was gone for seven years. Mm. And that's the first time when he, he got saved. He was also a guitar player, also a musician. And he was just, he dove headfirst into worship. Hmm. And that's the very, very first time that I saw music used in a way that connected with people and connected hmm. with God. Hmm. And that's, I realized now that was the missing element. As a hmm. kid, I, I was just, it was just me and the guitar and, and just culture, which is great, but but there's no connection with people. Hmm. There's recitals and competitions and all that. Yeah. And so I see my brother, just his life being radically changed. I knew him intimately before. I knew him intimately after. And it was just, wow, this is, this is what I've been hearing about in church as far as mm. salvation and, mm. and really God just rescuing someone from hell. And uh, to see that firsthand and also music being a part of his journey, I said, that's what I want to do. And I, at first I, I rationalized myself. I'm going to do that on my bike. So I, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to do all these shows, continue to get the sponsorships, but I'm going to be a, a Christian athlete, which is possible. I'm not saying not, mm -hmm. but for me, it just, I, I knew that it was self-serving as mm. far as my story. Mm. And eventually led to the point of, of me saying, Hey God, if you really want me to do this with music, I need a sign from you. And you know, t 16 year old kids, you know, mm -hmm. we need a sign. It's mm -hmm. not like you're just gonna walk with guys, like, give me a sign. And he gave me a sign. Uh, I was uh, on my favorite riding spot with some of my friends out there, and I fell doing a trick the exact same way a friend of mine fell about two months before. Mm. Uh, that same fall, uh, the, the crank on my bike broke. And uh, that same fall for my friend resulted in him cutting his Achilles. Mm. It was just tragic. Mm. And I fell the same way and my buddies are watching me and, and I roll on the ground, get up, I'm not hurt and look over and my friends are like staring like, like they saw an angel. And mm. so I asked them like, what? It's like, uh, you don't realize, I think we saw an angel. Really? <laughs> like, wow. and, and not quite, not literally and they saw an angel, but they said the way you fell defied gravity. Gotcha. And these are secular gotcha. friends. These are my biker friends. It's like you, you fell in a way that someone was carrying you. Like, oh my is, goodness. And these are, mm. once again, non-believers telling me that. Hmm. And there I am with my broken bike. Uh, I have a 45 minute walk home. It gave hmm. me plenty of time to <laughs> figure out that this was my sign. Put wow. my bike in the corner. Wow. I said, God, well, is this it? And so I woke up next morning, told my dad about it and said, that's very interesting because at the time he was working for uh, Bible translation, the Living Bible. Mm. And um, he said, just yesterday I was uh, on the phone with the American Office of, of Living Bible because they sent me an extra month's check. And I let them know, hey, you guys overpaid. And said, no, that, that was due to you. And so somewhere in the accounting, mm. I got double paid for the month. And so... Mm. I think we know we need to go to the local guitar store and buy you an mm. amp and a guitar. <laughs> wow! And so there I was. I haven't played guitar in like I think four and a half years. Oh that my point. goodness! I've never touched an electric in my life. Mm. And uh, went and got an amp, got a, an electric guitar, and figured out like okay, what I do with this thing. Wow. So basically, that started my jump started my musical wow. journey back. That is a dramatic point of revelation right there. Yep. Wow! Indeed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, tell us more. Keep, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. So. Uh, it, it was very interesting because um, one of the, the common threads um, throughout my journey, even before music in the church, and then especially once I got involved in music, is that I wanted to make sure that what I was doing, if, if one of my friends walked in off the street that's a non-believer, I wanted them to see this as something that's relevant, mm. 
rather than just, hey, is this the culture of the church and what am I supposed to do here? You know, am I supposed to sit like this or raise my mm. hand like that? Like, I want this to be real. Yeah. That's That's been foundational for me. And so my, my oldest brother was a very strong mentor in that. Mm. Um, and so that, that, that became the theme. I, we ended up starting a band uh, called The Living Creatures, which is kind of a play on words in Hungarian, uh, mm. the sound, uh, the word living creatures, um, can mean the biblical living creatures, mm-hmm. but the same exact words mean enthusiastic animals. Okay. Cause it's like ancient, uh, Hungarian language that, that are used mm. in the Bible translation. So it was kind of a fun name, like enthusiastic animals, like a, like a punk rock band or something, you know, <laughs> but people, the kids understood like, okay, this is kind of an energetic, youthful band, but at the same time, there's a spiritual connotation gotcha. to it. Cool. So anyway, we started that band. We we were there's no Christian scene. So this is you know 1989, the Iron Curtain falls, mm. uh, and so there's an underground church, but that's it. There's no mm. music wow. industry, Christian music industry. Mm. This is 1991, so two years after, fresh off the press, you know. Mm. And so we start playing, and and uh, we started this movement with uh, these street parties. We just set up sound systems in public places, and we didn't really try to do a street evangelism thing. We just played our songs and connected with people hmm. and just kind of start building a community. And so at the time we really didn't see the the large scale result of that. We just saw people being open to the gospel and that fed into local churches around, hmm. but realized um, several years after, after I moved to the States that we actually started a whole new generation of musicians at the hmm. time. Wow. So artists that saw that, wait a second, that, that I, I, I can do this, I can hmm. express myself and walk with the Lord and be relevant to my culture. Mm. So that, wow, that was kind of a cool. foundational mm-hmm. thing for us. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So then what happened next? What was the next phase? Yeah. So we, we did that for, uh, uh, our context for that became youth with a mission YOM. So, okay. uh, for, I was on staff with them for seven years. So oh, we wow. did, we did stuff, uh, part worship we did we led worship throughout europe and and especially the balkan states so um serbia romania hmm. some of um, um croatia and uh um slovenia some of those those uh, uh, former um yugoslav states hmm. were starting to open up even we had a chance to go into sarajevo right after the war uh, wow. there and so just really we were a band that that fit into the sound of a rock club and okay. so we just we, we played the local clubs one of them was called the satan club so mm. we just went in and played and wow. <laughs> like it, it was it was a wild and radical season mm-hmm. and, and then we were also a band that was equipped to lead worship because that's what we did in our church so we could just like turn on a dime and go from progressive metal to contemporary worship wow <laughs> anything in between wow that's crazy so we did that for about seven years all over Europe and some in Central Asia as well uh, on mission trips. And, and uh, it just really opened my, my eyes that music is such a, an essential part of, of culture yeah. and of the body of Christ. And, and I felt like it was so underutilized, but um, we were just called to, to just be relevant with that and, and, and do what was real to us, express our our true worship in the sense of spirit and truth. We, we wanted to be spirit filled, but also true in the sense of it was true to who God made us, not just the true of, of what was pulled over us, sort of, so to speak. Yeah. So, so that, that sounds, it's, it's sounding, which I'm sure it was like a natural progression. But when you talk about being on staff at YWAM for seven years, like was there, was there a revelation moment in there 
um, that it was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being called to join YWAM to be part, part of their ministry. What was that connection piece like? Yeah, it was very interesting because because of the season that we're in and partly because of the nature of YWAM to YWAM being an inner denominational missions organization, there was a lot of freedom mm. and our base leaders, um, the leadership was mostly American, but our staff was very international mm. from all over Europe. And, uh, they had very much, that's the, that's the very first time in my life that I heard the term entrepreneur. Hmm. And so they encouraged us to be entrepreneurial missionaries okay, and just, just really find ways to connect in genuine and authentic ways with the locals. And the fact that in Hungary, we were the locals and we wanted to do this, they just said, you guys, just they got behind us, just go for it. Hmm. <laughs> just run with it. Hmm. And so that, that really added to our authenticity in that sense that, okay. that we had... Um, it wasn't major financial backing, but we had more importantly the 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 support and people believing us, and that really gave us momentum to run hmm. with it. So it was, I'd say, especially looking back, um, it was very much an unorthodox structure of of yeah. that entrepreneurial missionary. Yeah. So. So then, what was the next season after YWAM? Yeah. So, um, kind of in that. Uh, path along that that development with our with our band and our, our our ministry that's when i met lisa so lisa came and, and hopped in on the tail end of that for the last year and a half okay. once we were married and so really we just came back to the states uh, wanted to finish up her her collegiate studies and went from metropolitan europe in budapest hungary to small town arkansas oh wow <laughs> talking about that's talking crazy. about culture shock oh my goodness and uh um, my so you know i came to the states i was I had to be the provider for the family while she was going to college so going from full-time ministry to the only job that i could find in backwoods arkansas was selling used cars oh my <laughs> goodness <laughs> and and but it was very interesting back to the theme that we started with as unto the lord to to have that that mindset that no matter what I do, mm. I'm going to do it as unto, unto the Lord. Mm. I, that really became a, a massive learning opportunity. I, I can't say I was successful selling cars, <laughs> but I learned so much about mm. people mm. and the true American life. Okay. Which was very interesting because as a European, really our image of America is there's New York and there's LA and there's everything in between is supposed to be skyscrapers and palm trees. Mm. I mean, that's, that's how most of the world thinks of the U S maybe not so much anymore because social media and the world's a lot smaller, but you know, at that point, really our only image of, of of the U S was Hollywood and that's what they showcase. And so to come here, especially move to backwoods, Arkansas and kind of learn the true American culture and and that aspect of it, it was very eye opening. So it was, it was an interesting journey. And they're moving to Dallas. That's where Lisa's originally from. And that's when we really started connecting into ministry and, and then back into worship. Um, started joining um, a couple of bands there and uh, ended up touring with them, which was very, very interesting. Again, uh, working with some big time producers and, and being able to work in studios and on the road mm-hmm. festival scene and all that. Okay. So it was interesting too. Yeah. So somewhere in there is this teaching piece um, and, and I don't even know yet the details behind that. Was that, um, yeah, was there education that you took or was it just a development of your own style because of your previous, uh, your earliest experience of a teacher? What, what, where did the teaching piece come in? Yeah, there's, there's really three key factors. One is my musical upbringing, even though I mentioned that my guitar teacher never taught me the love of music on the instrument. 
at the same time, I had a music theory teacher. In Hunger, Hunger is the birthplace of modern soulfish, the Kodai oh, method. Wow. So the Doremis, yeah, which really. we know from the sound of music, yeah. but it goes way deeper than that. Okay. So it's not just a couple of stair steps. <laughs> Julie Andrews up and down, uh, which is really, the, I mean, that's the idea. But but um, I was raised, uh, musically speaking, um, intellectually speaking, musically, uh, as a child by one of the world's greatest soulfish teachers. Really? Well. And and she was the, in the who's who of the Kodai method, like like one of the best, hands down. Wow. And so Miss Edith uh, was her name. She was strict... Uh, I mean, she would crack a whip in the lesson, but <laughs> but she she was also very loving and she poured into us. Mm. So I was raised uh, understanding this system, which was actually created by Zoltan Kodai back uh, in the early 1900s um, because he realized that there was not a music educational system in place that was designed for the common people. And so this is around the time where early record, recording technologies were coming around. So Edison invented the gramophone. And um, so Kodai was a world-renowned composer by then, so he was conducting Paris, New York, all over the world. Mm. And so whenever he would come back to Hungary, he realized that folk music, Hungarian folk music, was getting lost. Hmm. And so he would go out, he bought a gramophone, go out to these little villages and try to record these folk musicians playing their instruments and transcribe them and kind of catalog so it doesn't get lost. And in return for their nice action of performing folk music to him and enabling him to record it, he offered to teach in their village schools. Mm. He did this for That's crazy. he did this for about two years and he failed miserably because he had no way of connecting with the common people. Mm. He's talking about, you know, high level music mm-hmm. theory and sharps mm-hmm. and flats and this and that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I know if I put my finger here on my little whistle, this is what happens. <laughs> and that that was their knowledge of, of music because it was just passed down culturally. And so it was a puzzle to Kodai that um, there's really no connection. I mean, there's got to be a way to teach the common people. Hmm. And so he scoured back through music history and he found this Doremi system, which was actually the precursor of the ABCs, invented back in the 800s hmm. by an Italian monk named Guido de Arezzo. Oh my so goodness. He, he, uh, he invented this, this system and then it was never really used for what it was meant to be. It, it was trans muted into the ABCs and everything. But he realized that these simple little syllables, if he developed an entire system around it, then this could be a system that's not set in stone, but it could be moved to to any key, any Mm -hmm. system. And so that whole movable soulfish system, uh, which is really what we use as the musical number system today, is Mm -hmm. the same kind of idea. Comes from there. So anyway, he he developed this entire educational system, and that was that's what I was raised in. Wow, so that's, that's my fascinating. Step number one in education. Wow. My dad was an education uh, educator, uh, along with my uncle, really just world class teachers. Mm. Uh, and so I was raised in that environment okay. as well, and I got my degree in, in pedagogy. So um, okay, um, right before I, I, I hopped on board with YWAM, I was I was finishing my degree. University of London had a program oh, okay. that was retraining Russian teachers in the Eastern Bloc to be English teachers. And so my uncle actually developed this uh, educational structure around it that was kind of this fast track. How do we train Russian teachers to teach English and not use the strict methods of the old communist days, but actually connect with people? And so it was very much an eye-opening thing. So that's why I was raised. I never actually used any of that. Hmm. So I got into ministry. I played music. And so once I moved to the States, uh, kind of as a transition into 
full-time music here in the U.S., I launched a, a teaching studio. In my mind, it was a stepping stone. Okay, I go from corporate America to full-time music teaching as a stepping stone to rock stardom. Yeah, <laughs> eventually, yeah. okay. the rock stardom piece never came together. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I started teaching in 2009, and I realized that this journey that God walked me through through music, through education, through even sports, and, and just that mindset of do, do as unto the Lord mm. uh, really enabled me to to escalate my students' growth in ways that I never thought possible. And I thought it was just a kind of a stopgap for me, but I saw these kids uh, age 15, 16 picking up a guitar mm. a year later winning mm. national competitions. And and it's, it's not because of me, but because of how I could pour into them. Yeah. And I couldn't ignore that. It yeah. was it was just so eye opening and so rewarding at the same time. So that's kind of where the whole educational okay. story started. From so there. let's so let's just uh, keep dovetailing right on that last piece that you said. So your students. So in thinking about just relationship, you know, being the core. So how do you how do you view your students? How do you you already mentioned pouring into your students, but um, how is it that you that you view them that just motivates you to want to pour into them it's uh, just this interesting thought popped in my head as a hungarian being raised behind an iron curtain i mm. once again very clearly remember this was an article i read in 1993 in charisma magazine and it was that the, the the title of the article was integrity and i had no idea what that word meant mm. we have no hungarian word for that oh, wow. even to this day wow and uh so I looked it up in the dictionary. Like, what is it? I, I was fluent in English, but I, I, I had no idea what it meant. Huh. And I, I talked to some people uh, uh, on staff at Y. I'm like, like, tell me more. Like, like describe this for me. Hmm. And so I read the article. I was infatuated with it. And so that word kind of became this foundational element in, in my teaching. It was it was obvious when I was teaching my musicians and my, my students to be musicians. I didn't want them just to learn a skill set. I wanted this to be kind of become a fabric of their life. And, and I want them to be people of integrity, but also musicians of integrity too. And so that, that became a theme in how okay. I taught them too. Okay. That's awesome. That's cool. That is so cool. Um, so we want to talk about music 360 method. Um, and so I don't know what order you want to do this in, because I also want to hear, and I want our listeners to hear just again, God's direction, God taking all these pieces in your life that he directed and how it's come together in full fruition of this music 360 method. Um, so whatever order you want to do, um, but somewhere in there, just how, how did you recognize that God was leading you into this another new phase that, you know, took trust and dependence and it's still, I mean, it's still in a sense, just getting started, even though you've been working yeah. on it for a yeah. while. It's just, well, I should say it's just getting launched, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so seasons of trust and dependence, which I know what that's like going into, you know, this seven-year season we've had of Worship is Life ministry, and Taylor knows what it's like this last year and a half as he's launched out on his own. So, yeah, how would you articulate, describe how God directed that? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey because, uh, once again, I had no intention of being an educator because I've seen that up mm. close and personal mm -hmm. with my, my dad and uncle mm -hmm. and uh, I've seen the good, bad and the ugly around that. And so 
I personally had no desire to do that. And like I said, it was just like, well, that's, I need to make some money doing music full time. Let's start teaching. I literally put out a sign at our church. It was just a little eight by 10 uh, in Texas and uh, uh, just guitar lessons. But because these parents saw me on stage and I guess what I was conveying was attractive to them, hmm. uh, not just as a good musician, but as someone that they respected hmm. as, as a person. I had 25 students literally in oh my word. four days. That <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. So I had a problem in my hand because I still had a full-time job at the time. So anyway, at the, long story short, I transitioned into full-time teaching. And, and that's when I started noticing that that God's been orchestrating my life journey and my experiences mm. so that I can pour into these mm. kids and adults. And uh, so watching them grow and, and my pastor watching these young people coming up through the ranks and we have 16 year old kids on stage in a church of 8,000 Sunday morning and the congregation doesn't skip a beat. They don't even mm. notice that it's a different guitar player up mm. there. And at that time I was just teaching guitar, but, but my pastor took notice of that and said, Chris, you have something special here and you mm. need to figure out how to, mm. how to scale this. And so that encouragement paired with that whole, entrepreneurial missionary mindset that mm-hmm. I learned in YWAM mm-hmm. um, really led Lisa and I, my wife and I to think about, okay, how could we scale this? And she said, well, you should create some online courses. And I just put up the <laughs> cross sign. Yeah. And like, get, get to behind me. me. Saying, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was not anything I wanted to get involved with because I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting four or five different ads for guitar courses on Facebook every right. single day. Right. The market's saturated. Everyone's making courses. And, uh, I don't want to throw myself in a marketing dogfight with the likes of Fender and all these mega brands that are throwing millions of dollars of advertising budget behind it. So said, that's, that's really sweet, but maybe we should look into something else. But we kept thinking, okay, how could we scale this? How could we scale this? And the whole idea of, of online courses came up. Along with that, I saw that a lot of my students, especially when I started teaching more and more adults that were on worship teams, most of my work as an instructor was to break their bad habits that they picked up from online courses because of how they were taught and how okay. those courses weren't teaching them to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. It was more about, yep. here's the lick, right. here's the song, here's where you put your fingers. Right. And they really didn't learn, learn the fabric of music or should I say the integrity of music along with that. And so those things that I was noticing, both the development of my students and the problems that were the baggage that they were bringing in, really showed me that, that maybe there is room for how I teach in, in this marketplace. Mm. And so I told God, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do this if you really want me to, but I, I need you to show me that this is gonna be something more than just a guitar course. Yeah. And he said, don't you worry, just start. Okay. <laughs> well, that was about four years ago. Wow, wow. So uh, the first year of developing my first course, um, it, it was just a very rocky journey. My, both my parents, con- uh, we found that they had cancer. We mm. moved them to the States, so they were here with us. But it was a very challenging season. But at the same time, I just knew that God was walking me through this. And that was part of the journey it was stop and go, stop and go, yeah. stop and go. Just Yeah. And let me, okay, so I just have to interject here because that's a relationship connection point mm-hmm. of, because that took a lot of time, energy, resources for you guys to bring your parents over and then to watch. So just the whole honoring your father and Mm. mother in that is, that's huge. That is a huge lesson for every 
every one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think about, you know, my own wife, Brenda, and, and her mom just passing away a couple of weeks ago and, and just watching my wife honor her over these last couple of years in bringing her up here, going down to Florida to stay with her for weeks at a time. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's a huge relationship piece when, when we as the children become the caregivers yeah. and there's such an honoring of our parents as we take care of them in that season of their life. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, we're, you and I are basically called the sandwich generation mm. uh, because we have our kids that, that we're mm. in a way still caring for. We don't have children of our own, Lisa and I, but, but really my students were my kids because yeah. I was pouring into them in the same mm-hmm. way and at the same time caring for our, our parents. So it was very interesting because I had this vision, this calling that I really had no clue what it's going to grow into. Mm. So it was this process of trust with the Lord. Uh, I just knew that I had to start and yeah. so started creating the content, which was a revelation in and of itself. Mm. I'll get back to that in a second. But at the same time, just, just kind of extending myself in both directions, yeah. both into my students downward, so mm. to speak, and into my parents upward. Mm. And and it was very interesting because I think that that developed a sense of selflessness. I, I don't even know if that's the right way mm. to describe it, but just to where you're you're really more focused beyond yourself that that kind of broke down that baggage that I was pulling into my teaching it wasn't my mindset necessarily, but the, if I can use the ugly word career, my teaching career, mm. because I thought of it as a, as a, as a stepping stone to something bigger, mm. but yeah. really God showed me that this, this is the bigger. Yeah. And so allowed me to grow through that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And so th- to come back to that, that process of learning about what, what this thing is becoming, that first, um, semester that I created um, I, I, from the get-go I, I don't even know why but I just thought of each I'm, I'm creating a semester of guitar here and I, I didn't know why I called it that but it was just like semester <laughs> guitar semester one and um, when, by the time I finished semester one that's when I realized that that all those little elements uh, of, of how I learned music mm-hmm. how I passed on music how I was mentored in, in missions, how I was mentored personally by my dad, how I was mentored by other people in, in my, my, my relationships in the church, uh, that really got packaged up in how I organized the curriculum. And so part of the, the roots of, of how I was already teaching subconsciously is this approach called cyclical storytelling, which I turned into a whole pedagogical structure. This comes from mm. East African and Native American sto- storytelling traditions. Okay where stories are not told in a linear way, the traditional Greek mm. start here and there, mm-hmm. kind of linear storytelling, but yeah. it's, it's, it's in a cycle. And so I realized that that music is best taught that way also, because if you're not connecting the dots for your students, especially mm-hmm. in creative arts like music, they're not gonna be, that's not gonna be useful information for them. So the way we teach music in, in college, and uh, I, I was, teaching it, I was actually running a Christian college for a few years in Dallas. Okay. And so I, I know this firsthand, the college curriculums, the way we teach in a linear fashion, most of my senior students had no idea what we learned back in the freshman yeah. years. And because we're not connecting the dots for yeah. them, we're not making it applied knowledge. It's and interesting when you, when you say, when you use that description, I think of like, I think of the circle of fifths, mm-hmm. you know, and that in, in a way, 
that is just a piece that could be fit into a linear teaching. Yeah. But it's, it's again, it's that cycle. Yeah. Like music is that cycle, is that circle and, as and well. Life so is, cool. I mean, the, the way Absolutely. God created, Absolutely. I mean, life is a cycle. Yeah. History is a cycle. Yeah. So, so music in that way is a cycle too. I mean, musical genres, we, we cycle through them and that's mm. how new, new styles develop because mm -hmm. we kind of discover something along the way. So, but anyway, that, that's what I realized that I, I packaged my private lessons into little five minute video blocks, about 120 of them per semester. Oh my goodness. Uh, so about nine hours of content or so. And, uh, at somehow along the way, I discovered the, the secret sauce to how to do this online in a way that really connects the dots mm. for the student. Mm. And I had some of my private students, um, who's they have, experienced years of private lessons face to face with me. I had them test drive the course okay. and they came back to me saying, Chris, we hate to tell you this. And one after the other said the same thing. The video lessons are better than the private <laughs> lessons. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, dang it. <laughs> and and um, really what I realized is that I had a chance to tap into visually into areas of, of on-screen animations and things mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. that you cannot do in person mm -hmm. and so the things that i was trying to point to on a page on a core chart to have help them connect the dots i could do multiple of those at the same time on screen to where mm -hmm. i can overlay the music theory on the neck and they can see the chords and the scales at the same oh time and all that and so i realized that what i created here is not just a great semester of guitar learning it it's a framework that i can use for keys for drums, for bass, for vocals, so an entire modern band. And yeah. that's when the Holy Spirit light bulb went off. It's like, whoa, I'm not just called, and God's not just opening this door for me to create a great online guitar course, hmm. but to create something that doesn't yet exist, hmm. which is teaching a band to grow simultaneously. Hmm. And I, I know, so cool. I've seen that in the collegiate curriculums too, that, that keyboard players learn a different language than guitar players, yeah. music theory-wise. And we teach music theory to the guitar player on the piano, which is complete nonsense because mm. you're constantly translating in your mind. Mm. And that's why guitar players are really terrible at music theory because mm. this is a physical thing I've that's witnessed. So true. Every one of my collegiate students when I was teaching college, when we start talking about music theory, they have a guitar in their hand. And I asked them something and it's this weird thing. Their eye rolls up somewhere up to the <laughs> right. Like literally, that's where music theory lives in their brain. Like they go and they <laughs> that's where the keyboard is. try to pull it down from there. Yes. And it's like, no, no, uh -huh. down, bottom left, like down in your hand. That's where music theory is. <laughs> that's crazy. Look at your neck. That's where it lives. And so th that's, that's really huh. the revelation of, whoa, I have a framework that if I find the right instructors that are willing to buy into this mm. vision, mm we together could create, I'm not trying to be the expert in all of this, but mm -hmm. if they're willing to work out of the same framework for their instrument, yeah. and basically step number one is we figure out what goes into playing the guitar or the drums, or what are the, if you think of a, a pie, what are the slices of a pie, like chords and scales and music theory and technique and all that. Break that down first. What's the expertise that goes into playing that instrument? And then we just worry about that and then we figure out, okay, in the first semester, how do we connect all these slices together? Mm. Don't worry about what you're supposed to teach. How can we connect enough of this to where everything that the student learns is practical and applicable? Mm. And if we accomplish that, then in one semester, you can grow an entire band to the point that they can make music together. Mm. It's not going to be expert level 
world-changing music, but they'll have a foundation that they can be creative and dynamic and expressive. They can flow together. That's awesome. And then in the future semesters, because of the foundation that we laid, you just go a little bit deeper into each one of those slices mm. and their knowledge just explodes. And that's where creativity really comes from and freedom and confidence in music. Wow. Come on. It's exciting. Man, that is, that is so the more I hear about it, the more excited I get about and also just excited about being a part of the ground level um, release of this. Yeah. Um, but from the beginning... What I've loved even most about it is the administration piece for the leader that you have created. So tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah. So once again, over the last almost four years now, uh, every step of the way, this is God's joke on me. <laughs> like, like I don't know what the next step's going to be. <laughs> Or, or really, I only know what the, the literally the next step is. And it's like footsteps and mm -hmm. it's just like they unfold as you walk. And so step number one was figuring out, okay, let's make a guitar course and I'll figure out what this thing is. So by the end of the guitar course, I figured out what I just mentioned. And so then I found amazing instructors that really bought into the vision and were willing to do work that is so hard on them. Mm -hmm. Because we have to work really hard in mm. the background to connect the dots for for our musicians so that all this can work in a synchronized yeah. fashion for the entire band. And those instructors taking steps back from where they've probably developed themselves. Oh, absolutely. And rethinking. Yeah. yeah. The and and the interesting thing, though, is that, that because we're so like-minded, I, I wanted to find musicians that had deep professional experience, mm -hmm. not not just great worship leaders, but, but people that have deep industry experience, touring, expertise well beyond what's required mm -hmm. for worship. Let's be honest, worship is somewhat of a sim simplistic genre mm -hmm. musically because mm -hmm. it has to be. It has mm -hmm. to be congregational. Yeah. But at the same time, I really feel like with that, we sort of compromise the creativity at times mm -hmm. in worship too. Mm -hmm. If we're really honest with ourselves, it's easier to just like pop music on radio mm -hmm. today, it's easier to write a one, four, six, five compression, mm -hmm. uh, um, chord progression over and over and over mm -hmm. and over again because that's yeah. what people are buying right now. Mm -hmm. And so um, really my heart behind this was let's find instructors that understand worship, they have a heart for worship, but their experience goes well beyond worship so that we can build this up in a way that can take musicians into new realms of worship, but also create a new generation of artists for the future. So to circle back to what you're talking about, the administrative piece, once I found my instructors that fit this mold and we created the curriculum, I knew there's more to this. Because if I, from a business or to use the dirty word of marketing standpoint, if I just put this out there, I'm still just another course. So I knew that, that God had something in mind mm. that was a piece that really truly doesn't exist today. Because mm. there's other courses for multi-instruments we knew that ours was better in this way because of <laughs> mm -hmm. how it was developed mm -hmm. and how deep we went in, in, into the, the foundations of it. But I knew there was some other piece missing and that's where this administrative piece came in. So by the time we started seeing the content unfold for each instrument, I realized that for me to serve the church with this in a fruitful way, I can't just tell them, hey, here, buy these courses. First of all, why would they buy mine and not the others? Why would they buy mine and not Bethel's? You know, because Because there's good content out there it's still missing certain pieces, but I realized that the true missing piece is that when a worship leader tells the musician to get training, we usually export them out of the church. Mm -hmm. And so we either tell them to take lessons elsewhere mm -hmm. yep. or 
maybe we tell them to take an online course. But e- either ways, the worship leader is not engaged in the process of yeah. growth. And, and they that, get an easy out because it's just, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and but at the same time, I can't. So let's be realistic. A worship, it's a hard position to be in. Yeah. I've been on both sides of the coin. Absolutely. Where I've received students from other churches mm-hmm. and I've sent people to, yeah. <laughs> as the worship leader. It's a hard, it's a hard place. But there's to be. a disconnect. And, and, and young aspiring musicians are caught in this limbo between seeking knowledge, seeking experience, and seeking mentorship. Mm. And so the three components in that is the church, academia, and the music industry. Mm. And so the church should be this place of mentorship. And we are, for the most part, great at mentoring morally, spiritually. Mm -hmm. But musically speaking, that's something that we export out to academia or a local music teacher or something like that. So academia is supposed to be the source of knowledge, but because of academic structures and requirements uh, in, in a lot of our institutions, for example, a worship musician, the, the skill set that they need to learn, I don't know of curriculum at this point that teaches that. Hmm. Even if they go to college, and, and they learn a lot of valuable content. But at the same time, when they start joining a worship team, they have to relearn or unlearn a lot of stuff of how you flow in worship. So practically speaking, I, I'm not aware of another curriculum that actually teaches you the skill set that it, it needs to, that, that it requires to, to play yeah. in a worship team. And then the music industry, I mean, aspiring musicians want to get into the industry. Taylor, you know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't really get into the industry without experience. But how do you get experience without being in the industry? So it's kind of this, mm-hmm. this vicious cycle. Yes. So really the vision became what if we could package not just teaching content but a mentorship and experience piece all into one place where the body of Christ, not even us, not even Music 360 Method, but the body of Christ could become the source of all of these. And so I realized that if we want this to be kingdom fruitful, then what we have to do is put this tool in the hands of the church, not market it to the individual, because then it's still the same disconnect. I don't want people to just buy our course. What I want is the local church to buy into the vision that we cannot afford to pass up this mentorship opportunity with musicians Mm -hmm. because it's criminal. (laughs) It's one of the strong, I mean, think about it. When somebody talks about visiting a new church, what's the first thing they talk about? Either how's the preaching, how's worship? And usually worship is the the attractor Mm -hmm. and the preaching is what keeps them there. Mm But how's the worship, you know? And, and we're talking about superficial stuff. Yeah. Uh, what's the sound of the band? Right. And so if, if, if our worship teams are that visible, but we are basically either hiring musicians, 45% of worship musicians today, this is an actual fact, on Christian stages, evangelical stages, 45% of musicians are non-believers. Mm. That blows what? my mind. 45% are mm. actually professing non-believers mm. that are just oh, paid musicians yeah. on our stages. Wow. Absolutely criminal. And, and, and I have many A-list studio musician friends in L.A. who are making a living solely because churches need to hire good musicians. Mm. And, yeah. and that's great. Mm. But once again, we're not taking advantage of the mentorship or the mm. discipleship opportunity there. Wow. So, so the, the point here is this. We wanted to create a structure where, yes, we create world-class content with, with our online courses. But along with that, we create this administrative structure that we put in the hand of the worship leader, not giving them an extra job, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but giving them a tool set where they get feedback on how these musicians are doing. So the source of these courses is the local church. They subscribe. Their musicians can enter this pipeline all the way from the 
entry-level audition through all the training and then eventually entering into being mentors in the same system mm. and, and giving the worship leader and anyone else that they choose uh, that wants to be an active mentor the feedback of when this when did this person last log in, what lessons they viewed, mm. how are their quiz scores, how are they doing. And so it's almost like the worship leader goes to that private lesson with that musician yeah. without taking the time to do that, without taking the, the expert, having to have the expertise to actually teach these individuals and get all the feedback that they want and, and see how these musicians are doing. That leads to very different conversations yeah. when someone's struggling with their ear training and you can say, I noticed that you're always skipping the ear training quizzes. Let's, let's focus on that. <laughs> and you can be an active mentor in their hmm. musical life without having to take all the time to actually train them. So now that becomes a game changer in the, in the, in the church's hands because you can be the source yeah. of the mentorship musically as well, even though you don't have to have the expertise as the yeah. worship leader. Yeah. You can be the source of experience because once they're going through these courses, not only do they apply the practice segments inside the courses, they can apply this knowledge in the worship band. So mm. they're gaining experience, real world on stage experience, and also the knowledge pouring into them through the courses. And so for the first time, I feel the body of Christ can be not just a source of bettering our worship teams, but I really believe this is going to become a tool for culture reformation in worship, but mm. also in raising new generation artists. So we don't have any more Katy Perry's and Beyonce's mm. that were raised in the church, yeah. becoming the loudest voice for the, I won't say against the church, but definitely yeah. a dev very different value. Yeah. And then in that administrative, administrative piece, um, it's also a very, well, you've already explained a relational piece, but you also have like a communication hub for the group where they can like any social media platform where they can communicate individually or as group. So that's in there too. Yeah. And that's a relatively new development over the last uh, six or seven months. We yeah. really added a new aspect, which is you could call it a, a community or a social media aspect, but it's, it's private and closed. So basically just for the worship teams and a lot of worship teams already use tools like group me app and, yeah. and just for their internal communication. But the idea is why not pair that communication piece up with the mentorship piece of, of yep. getting feedback and also the learning piece. Yep. And so all under one roof, the same platform, they can communicate a mentor actively. And realistically, there's a lot of people that are learning adverse. And when they are given access to a platform like this, they're not going to jump at the opportunity. Right. But if you use the communication tool that they love to comment and post pictures and whatnot under the same roof and they get reminders, hey, you haven't watch the lesson in a week, you know, automatic reminders that we already built into the platform. And here's and your friend getting excited about yeah. it. And mm -hmm. here's what you're missing. Yeah. So it becomes a social mm -hmm. element in the worship team that, that happens organically on some teams, but now it's a predictable system and a pipeline that you can plug people in wow. and they can rise up through, through the ranks. Wow. This is, I'm, I'm just so excited about the potential of this. Yeah. And again, I just want to tell our listeners that in the show notes, you can get the link to go check this out. And I can't encourage you more uh, to do that. Um, yeah, it's just been great, 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 great hearing just your story and, and, and how mm -hmm. this is all coming to fruition. Yeah, Chris, we're honored to have you here in the room. Uh, we haven't had a ton of in the room interviews, so it's really exciting. And, uh, as you've been talking here, I've just been thinking the last few minutes of people in my life that could benefit from this, and I'm excited to even look into some of your content. And the number one person that came to me is our honorary member of every podcast. So we're going to patch him in on the phone here. 
Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, how you guys are going to connect with your unique backstory. So, um, Chris, you're on with Billy Bob McCall. Hey, Chris. Chris, is that you? Hey, Billy Bob. Hey, it's Billy Bob McCall here. Man, am I I'm excited to meet you. I haven't met you, but I've been stalking you, but I haven't met you, and it's just been great to listen in on a little bit of uh, your story here. Man, unbelievable stuff. I, I know I can't wait to get my kids into it. I know that for sure. So, you know, Chris, I got to tell you, I know a thing or two about a thing or two, and um, we got a couple things in common. And, um, for example, I'm always hungry. Always hungry. I'm constantly hungry. And I hear you talk about hungry, so so I don't know. I mean, is there some connection? So you say you're from hungry, and I'm always hungry. I mean, is there, like, some kind of ancient connection that I don't know about where my hunger comes from Hungary? I mean, anything you like, what, what's the connection there, man? Well, and this goes even deeper than you ever thought, Billy Bob, because... Well, that doesn't take much, but let me hear what you got to say. <laughs> uh, here's what's going to blow your mind, because Hungary was actually occupied by Turkey for 150 years. Oh, I'm seeing the connection now. I love my turkey. I love turkey way more than just Thanksgiving. I'm going turkey hunting tomorrow morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Wow, I can see the connection. I can see the connection. And now now you can probably tell, you know, that I'm from the South. I'm not going to say I'm from Arkansas, but I hear you spent some time out in Podunk, Arkansas, which is, I mean, in my opinion, there's no better place to live. And such. So you've lived all over. You've lived in, you know, European metropolitan. Now was a little snobbish to me. And you lived in the Dallas area, but I gotta imagine, I gotta imagine that your time in Arkansas must have been your favorite time ever to live. Is that true? Is that Hands true? down, squirrel hunting. Mm-hmm. There's nothing oh, like it. Oh, oh, give them back to hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do our share squirrel hunting out here. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, what else did you love about living down in my neck of the woods? Well. There's good people everywhere. That's I think that was the the biggest revelation for me. Yeah. Just learning about people. people's hearts, no matter what culture, no matter what background, no matter good what people, their story man. is. Good, that's a good answer, Chris. That's a good answer. Good people everywhere. Hey, relationship is is the reason for living. Amen. It's the reason for living. Wow, it's been great, great talking to you, Chris. And I'm I'm so excited for these listeners to tap in to yourself. Remember, go to the show notes. Up today's episode, click on that link. Hey, Billy Bob, before you leave, I've never joined, Chris, this conversation with our guest and Billy Bob, but I need to ask you before Billy Bob leaves the phone here. Uh-oh. Do you think there's hope for Billy Bob to learn any music with your course? That's my question for you. Absolutely. Oh, oh man, I'm in. Hope. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Do you have a banjo section? No, but the guitar course will translate wonderfully okay. to the banjo. Okay. I mean, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Great talking to you, Chris. It was good talking to you, Bob. Thanks, Chris. I just had to hop on that because... Uh... Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Anyways, Billy Bob, like I said, I was thinking about people in my life. I said, if you can help Billy Bob... You can help me. You can help anybody else that's listening. So I'm Absolutely. Excited. And talking yeah. about the show notes, you guys really should put Billy Bob's dentist uh, <laughs> link in there, too. <laughs> Wonderful work. That, we can make that happen. We can make it happen. We can make that happen. That's well, good. this has been great. So exciting, uh, Chris. And again, I'm excited to spend the next few days with you. 
and and uh, use my circle of influence to point people to this great resource and exciting, exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Chris. To find out more about Music 360 Method, you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast. And to find out more about Worship is Life and to get some resources, head to worshipislife.org. My name is Chris Shimon Favi, and you're listening to the Worship is Life podcast. <laughs>